Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce. And my guest today is Jacqueline Newman. Jacqueline is the managing partner of Berkman, Bacher, Newman, and Rod in New York City. She's the author of the book, Soon to be X and Soon to be X for Men. Welcome, Jacqueline. It is a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I know, because we know each other a little bit and for a few years, that you always wanted to be a divorce lawyer. Is that right? That is right. And ever since I was basically in junior high school, it was actually something I always said I wanted to do. Why? Well, my parents are both psychotherapists, so the big family joke was that I was too aggressive to be a therapist. And so it kind of seemed like the next best thing. It's something that, you know, I find incredibly interesting. I did it in law school and in college. Um, I focused primarily, actually almost exclusively on matrimonial law. So I put all my eggs in one basket and thankfully it worked out. You know, it's so funny because our backgrounds are really very similar in that way. I come from a family of therapists too. Both my parents and my grandmother were therapists. The the word was bossy, not aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) And I was always also interested in family law and the ways in which the law meets the family, you know, and, and the interaction there with people are just so unaware of it. And so I think it is a really interesting area, but somehow or other, we divorce lawyers have a bad reputation. Unfortunately, lots of of divorce lawyer jokes. Yes, a lot of them, even more than just regular lawyer jokes. So you started out your career being a divorce lawyer, uh, interested in people, I guess. And uh, what did you learn when you were early in your career? Did you think that what you were expecting was, in fact, true about the work? No, I think that everybody has an image of what they see divorce lawyers to be. Everyone has an image of what they think lawyers to be. You know, they watch TV and they think it's this big courtroom drama and, you know, everything gets resolved before the commercial break. And obviously that's not true. And so I think it was really, you know, on some levels, there were aspects of it that you just would never learn in law school about how people interact, about what can really happen. You know, even no matter how many cases you read, when you're actually in the courtroom, it's just not the same. So there were things that, you know, surprised me definitely along the way. But I have to say, I absolutely love it. Well, what were some of those big surprises? Well, I think that, you know, when you're in law school, you know, you read all these cases and you read the statutes and you think that those are the things that are going to, in fact, you know, apply. And I remember when I was litigating, um, I was in court once and I was arguing in front of the judge. And I remember I cited the CPLR, which is, you know, the rules upon which you, you basically follow the law and the structure of it. And I remember, you know, that's that's the statute. That's what you learned in law school. And I remember the judge saying to me, don't argue the CPLR to me. And I remember saying to the judge, well, that's all I've got. (laughs) But (laughs) the practicality of what really happens in the courtroom, I think is just so much different than what you actually learn and what you watch on TV. And that was very surprising to me. I didn't realize how incredibly different it would be. Um, And I think that most people don't realize it. So they have these images. You know, you always have a client that comes in who has these images that they're going to get their justice. And that just doesn't exist in that way. And judges aren't going to get upset by, you know, the fact that so-and-so is having an affair or whatever it is that's going on. And I think when I saw that in practice, it was just very, very surprising. And something that now that I know it, 
it definitely influences the way that I practice. Well, you know, it's really interesting what you're saying, because like on the one hand, yes, judges don't really care about the psychology of the marriage and the psychology of the divorce. They don't really care about what feels morally right and morally wrong to the people in the in the in the marriage and in the, in the family. And people don't really care about the things that judges care about, right? They don't really care about the structure of the way the process works or what the law says about this or that. They care about what they care about, you know. And the truth of the matter is that statistically speaking, most divorces end up settling before a judge, you know, where you, before you go to a trial and before a judge gets to make that decision. So it, it's a kind of a disconnect because you have the sort of the psychology of the negotiation where you're trying to settle on the one hand, right? Where the, you know, what's right and what's wrong and who had an affair and who didn't, you know, and all that matters to people. And then you have it coming up right up against the courtroom setting where that really doesn't matter. And it's really like completely different, a completely different setting, a completely different scene. I would absolutely agree with that. I think that, you know, again, when everybody starts off, they have these images, you know, again, it's the it's the fantasy of what's going to happen in court. And I tell clients all the time, like, odds are your case is going to settle. I agree with you. You know, it's a joke in my office and we do do litigation that I say, you know, trial decisions are an urban myth because the amount of trials that actually happen to full decision are so far and few between. And so I say to clients, like, you're going to settle your case. It's just a question of when. It's a question of whether we're going to go through the process and you're going to spend tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars between lawyers' bills and therapy bills and then settle your case or whether you're going to settle it earlier. But at some point, it's going to settle. So it's just your question of when you want to do it. Clients are so caught in where they are that they can't truly hear that. And so a lot of them have to go through the process of court to some degree before they actually come to their senses and settle their case. So Jacqueline Newman, who doesn't settle? I mean, there are cases that go to trial. Who are those people? Why does that happen? Again, I think it's so far and few between, but I think that there are different reasons that cases don't settle. I mean, some people will just stand on what they call their principles, you know, and principles are incredibly expensive, but there are some people that will do that. There are some people that just feel that they have to basically fight it out. I think also you have a lot of people that need to have a trial because they cannot take responsibility for their own decisions. So if you have, let's say, you know, a parent who really truly believes that the custody that the other parent should not have 50-50 time, let's say. Now, if they agree in a settlement or in a nego- any kind of negotiated settlement, whether it be mediation, collaborative law, or just between lawyers, then they have to take responsibility forever, looking themselves in the mirror and saying to themselves, I agreed that, you know, the other parent could have 50% of the time. As opposed to if a judge forces it down their throat, they can say, I fought for as long as I could and I had no choice because someone else made the decision. So I think it takes a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure on somebody to basically be able to acknowledge that they are, in fact, making a decision and taking that in as opposed to having someone else do it for them. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. I think that people are, I mean, I think studies show that people have a lot of insecurity about their own decision-making ability. All of us do. Maybe not all of us, but many people do. And if you feel like, well, you know what, this is a decision I am not willing to make on my own. I'm not going to, if I have to do it, I'll do it, but I'm not going to sort of sell myself out, you know, sell my soul or sell my children or sell my principles out. Uh, and I sort of just stand on that, you know, very rigidly. Absolutely. I think that that's, I think most of the people that do that, that's what it truly comes down to. And then, you know, you'll have your spattering of people that truly hate each other so incredibly much that they are willing to go to war just to have the other person be punished. 
you know, those are the people that care more about what he has as opposed to what she has. You know, like what I get is less important than what you don't get does not have. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Jacqueline, what led you to write Soon to Be X and then Soon to Be X for Men? What are the books about and uh, what motivated you to write them? So the books are about, basically, I was kind of looking at, you know, what do I tell my clients? You know, I had a lot of clients that came in and said, you have a good book to read. And there are a lot of books out there. Specifically, I wrote the women's one first. And there's a lot of books out there that were based on all the psychology of divorce. You know, there are some that are strictly financial. There are some that are strictly just like basically almost a law textbook. And then there are a lot of like men hating books out there. So my book is none of that, or maybe a little bit of everything except the man hating part. I really wanted to write something that I said, if my best friend was going through divorce, what's all the things that I would be telling them as a divorce attorney? You know, I want to be their friend, but I also want to be their divorce attorney. So it really talks about the psychology to some degree of divorce. It talks a lot about the realities of what really happens. You know, I talk and it's a very practical book. You know, I say, you know, we talk about is it a right time to get divorced? You know, one of the first chapters is, are you sure you want to get divorced? Because it's one of the questions I ask my clients, almost almost everyone that walks in, it's one of my first questions, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you're not, even if you question it for a second, I'm a big advocate of go see a marriage counselor, you've got to make sure because it's an expensive divorce, it's emotionally expensive, it's financially expensive, and it's very hard to turn back. So this book talks about that. It talks about what it feels like for the first night that you're not with your children. It talks about... You know, we have this phrase that sometimes we call the Disney dad and how you deal with the fact that when your kids go to see your dad and they have so much fun because it's the weekend and he's going to the zoo and he's feeding them ice cream for dinner and all these sort of things. And then they come back to you and they have to eat peas, carrots and do their homework. How do you deal with that? It's just a lot of the practicalities of clients that have spoken to me throughout the years about what they've experienced. And I've also taken the, you know, being that I represent men and women equally, being that, you know, I know what men go through. So I kind of try to explain that a little bit about some of the insecurities that men have and how, you know, a lot of fathers, and there's an element of it being stereotypical to some degree, but, you know, you have some fathers that just have not been around in the day-to-day because they've been working a lot or whatever it might be, and how they deal with the fact that when they have parenting time with their children, they don't know that, you know, if I make this special sound with this stuffed animal, it'll make my child stop crying. Like, they don't know all the magic little touches. And they don't want to ask, you know, their wives because all their wives keep saying is, you know, you can't take care of these kids. And so they don't want to ask. And yet it's the child who really sits and cries for longer and longer and longer because of the fact that, you know, their little pig doesn't make the right squeak. So these are things that we just kind of try to touch on. It's like just the realities of divorce. And being that I feel like I have such a front row seat to it, seeing it from all different types of people and from both sides, both sexes, I just felt I was in a good position to kind of write something. And I'm hoping it helps people. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM. We're here alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening on the podcast, which is available at divorcedialogues.com, as well as on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And I'm talking today with Jacqueline Newman. She's the managing partner at Berkman, Bacher, Newman, and Rod about divorce and about her book, Soon to be X and Soon to be X for Men. You know, Jacqueline, you say that people come in to see you. The first thing you say is, are you sure you want to do this? How many people aren't sure? You know, many more than you'd expect. I would say probably, guessing, I'd say 35 to 40% of the people that walk into my office initially are really coming in for just information gathering. I have a lot of people that come in and they are thinking about divorce, but they want to make an educated decision. So they want to kind of see what would it look like. 
And so we do a lot of those. Now, a lot of these people come back years later, but I would say a good portion, more than you would think, come in and just really aren't sure. And those are the people that I just, I mean, I encourage so much to go to marriage counseling and just try absolutely everything. Because as I said, it's just very hard to turn back and you just don't want to have regrets. I completely agree with that. And I think that it's really an important thing to get an informational session going. And I think that a lot of people feel like it's it's a huge commitment to go in and meet with a lawyer. And it's not really. It's really just information gathering. It doesn't mean you're getting divorced. It means you're thinking about it and you're researching it. Do you see it that way or differently? I don't. I agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, you're paying a consultation fee, basically. And I think that, again, you know, making decisions that are coming from an educated spot, the best thing that you could possibly do. And think about this. I mean, you're looking, this is one of the major, major life decisions because it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your finances, your children, your, you know, your job. It's going to affect every aspect of your life on some level. So if you are walking into it blindly, especially if you're just being ruled by emotion, I mean, I think it makes so much more sense to become educated, step back, because on some level, there's a lot of this as a business decision and you need to be able to be clear-headed and hopefully a good consultation can put you there. So do you think, Jacqueline Newman, that when you say that a lot of this is a business decision, I mean, that's that's kind of hard for some people to swallow. I mean, they feel like it's really more about their emotional lives, their parenting lives, their intimate lives than it is about business. I think that it's all of that. But yes, I think at the end of the day, once you kind of peel back the onions of the emotions, which, you know, if you're going to be litigating, that's ultimately what ends up happening. And as you delve deeper into the divorce process, a lot of the emotions that you start out with are going to change and are going to feel better. I mean, time does heal most wounds. And I can tell you, lawyers feel a lot more of them. So I think (laughs) that at the end of the day, it really does become more of a business decision. But it is. I mean, it sounds cold. And I will say that to clients right right in the beginning. I will basically say, like, at the end of the day, I know how angry you are. And I hear that. But I'm telling you right now that you cannot let that anger ultimately dictate your future decisions. Because you know, I tell people, you got to think about your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your 15, your 20. You need to look far out, which is hard when people are caught in their moment. You know, they're caught in their anger. They're caught in what's going on right there, their fears, their concerns about their children. All those things seem so incredibly huge, and they are. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to look how this is going to affect you long term. And again, that's why, you know, I give so much credit to the people that come in and just want to get education because they're in a position of being able to say, I know where I am right now but at least I'm smart enough to know that I need to learn how I'm going to be in the future. Yeah, I agree. You know, a lot of marriage counselors say that people come into marriage counseling way too late. You know, that that they, they've gone too far to the place of anger or resentment, you know, fear, whatever it is. And so do you think that, though, people that come in and, and are really just information gathering, I, too, have had people come in. I've had people come in once a year for three years and then, and then hire the firm, you know. Uh, do you think that there really is, um, is it too late for them by the time they're going to see a lawyer or is there real hope there? I think there's hope. I mean, look, they're probably pretty far down the path, but not always. I mean, again, there are people that basically do look at marriage on some level as a business decision. So there are people that can separate the emotion. There are people that can basically look at it and say, like, how much is this going to cost me? And maybe, you know, maybe my wife's jokes are a little funnier than I thought. You know, it's not always so black and white. And one of the things that, like, always bothers me about, you know, the outsiders to the divorce, like, you know, the friends and the parents and the you know, other lawyers and all the other people that basically infiltrate clients' ears is that, 
you know, everybody thinks relationships are so simple, you know, and, and people do not give the credit to how many layers there are to relationships and how incredibly complex there are and how, you know, everyone has a judgment. You know, someone has an affair and they assume the marriage is automatically over. And I, I just don't see it that way. I think that there's just so much that goes on to a marriage. And I think there are so many levels to it, any relationship for that matter, that, you know, hopefully when people come in for a consultation and we talk about these things, they're they're being met with someone who's not going to be not judging them. I basically have heard, you know, it takes a lot to shock me at this point in my life. And so they're going to tell me whatever they're going to tell me. And I'm going to be able to kind of objectively look at it for them and kind of give them more of that business advice that they really want to hear, but emotionally might not be ready to hear, but they have to hear it. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that non-judgmental time, right? Like this isn't about right or wrong. It's not, I agree, you know, some of the stuff you just, you couldn't make it up. And if you wrote a story about it, people would tell you you're overdoing it, right? You know, people's lives are incredible. And the stories they tell you and the things they've been through, unbelievable. And it's a privilege, I think, to be able to sit with someone and listen to it and not judge them about it. And it's a huge relief for them when they get that opportunity to do that. I think that's a huge piece. Absolutely agree. And I also feel incredibly honored to help people get to a better place in their lives. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And we're also available on a podcast at www.divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Jacqueline Newman. And Jacqueline, for our listeners, would you be willing to give us uh, contact information, your website, place where people can find more information about you, about your book, about your firm? Sure. So the firm website is BerkBot, B-E-R-K-B-O-T dot com. And my personal website is JacquelineNewman.com. And are you? And all book information. Okay, perfect. So, you know, in the last third of the show, I was thinking that it might be a really good idea to talk a little bit about what it's like to manage a law firm, you know, because I think that, as we said earlier at the, you know, at the beginning of the show, that people have really bad ideas about lawyers and certainly really even worse ideas about divorce lawyers, you know, were the worst of the worst. And I think that's not really true. I think that the idea from the public eye that lawyers are out to gouge them and that this costs so much money because, you know, we're sort of laughing all the way to the bank is, is a falsehood. And I'm wondering what you think about that and, uh, and, and what it feels like to manage your firm. So, I mean, look, I can understand why people say what they say. And there are attorneys out there, I'm sure in every field, but maybe divorce is probably maybe a little bit worse, that there are people that are doing that. There are people that are, you know, laughing their way to the bank. Because if you think about it, the way that divorce is structured, on some level, attorneys make money over the conflict. You know, the more the clients are fighting, the more money the attorneys can ultimately make. But I think there are a lot of attorneys that are out there that are really good that don't want to do that. And I think it's very important when you're meeting attorneys to kind of try to read that if you can as to the attorneys that are truly care about having you move forward and not necessarily about the bottom line. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been very fortunate about with my firm is that, you know, we happen to be in a position that while obviously everybody, you know, wants to make money, at the end of the day, we have not had to sacrifice you know, our feelings about it. Like there are clients that are not right for our firm and we feel comfortable saying that this isn't a good fit. There are clients that we um, are able to, you know, financially cut deals if that's what makes sense. I mean, to be honest, one of the things that we do every year, I don't even know if Catherine, you know this, is that we do something what I call the karma client where the associates and the partners, we all sit at the end of the year and we pick a client that, you know, we think 
would really appreciate us being able to wipe out any outstanding bill that's kind of at the end. And I call it the karma client, like everybody, you know, and, and making that phone call. I mean, I've personally made it once. I've had two associates that have been able to make it to their clients to call and basically say, you know, happy holidays. We're wiping out the rest of your bill. And, you know, I think it's just really a nice thing to do. And I always feel like that's just such a good feeling to be able to do something like that. That is a great feeling. Well, let me ask you this question. You know, you said that we talked a little bit about what the surprise was for you when you became a divorce lawyer. Has there been a, a surprise for you when you started to manage the firm? Um, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy managing the firm. So, you know, I've been doing this for about 20 years. And you get to a point when you're doing the same thing for 20 years that you want to have a little diversity. And so, again, I was in a fortunate enough position with the people that I was working with that I was allowed to or permitted to basically take over the business of the firm as well. And that has opened, you know, a lot of doors for me to the degree of using different parts of my brain. Like I happen to like numbers a lot and do a lot of things on Excel. So I've been able to really manage, you know, obviously I manage all of our finances. I do our marketing. Uh, you know, I do a lot of what we define as the HR thing. And it just, you know, it uses different parts of your brain. And I actually even think it helps me in my work because again, one of the things that I like about matrimonial law so much is that, each client, you get to learn so much about everybody's practices. Like I always say, it's never boring. And I could join any cocktail conversation for at least a few sentences because I've learned so much about all different types of industries by working with different clients. And I think running a business has really helped me with a lot of my entrepreneur clients. A lot, you know, we do a lot of business divorce cases that involve businesses. And it's just given me such an inner insight into how important working capital is for somebody and how you ultimately run your books. And, you know, even when I'm looking at the books for, let's say I'm representing the non-moneyed spouse or the non-titled spouse, I'm in a position where I can look at a start, a P&L sheet, and I really understand it in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. As for surprises, I mean, you know, it's also nerve-wracking, and I think it was more nerve-wracking than I thought because every year, you know, we're a transactional business. We don't generally have repeat clients. So every year, you know, you start fresh. So that's always a little nerve-wracking. But I find it really challenging and very rewarding, and I enjoy it a lot. I resonate with a lot of what you said. I know exactly what you mean about learning what the business end of it and how that can really translate into the work that we do with our clients. And also in that over the years, and you get exposed to all different kinds of industries and, and all kinds of businesses. And it's fascinating, actually, to learn that enough to be conversant in it in order to get through the case anyway, and, and then how that translates from one industry to another and into your own business. It's really an interesting thing. So let me just ask you this in our last minutes, like what makes a really good client? Like if someone was like, well, how am I going to, you know, be in the running for the karma award? <laughs> you know, maybe you won't get the karma award, but you know, I'm going to have a really good relationship with my firm. And what do you think it takes to be a really good client? What What are the attributes you would describe? You know, that's an excellent question. I mean, I can think of like a few of my very favorite clients. One specifically walked in and he happened to be the money spouse and he walked in and said, I don't want to screw my wife. That was the first thing he said to me, barely even your name or anything else. That was the first thing he said. And I thought, you know, and we've been working together for a while and, you know, his case is finally coming to conclusion. And he really has, you know, maintained that theory throughout. I mean, there were times that things got a little rocky and I won't say it was the smoothest of divorces, but he really always felt like he just had to do what he felt that he was right. And ultimately, you know, well, she may have had differing views at times, but overall, ultimately, he wanted to do that. But in answer to your question as a general thing, I think that it's just very important to be very communicative. You know, for me, being organized is important. 
and being able to kind of recognize your own wrongs. You know, when you have a client that always thinks they're right, no matter what happens, and their spouse is always wrong, it's like it's very hard to kind of break in and, you know, do an artful negotiation because one of the art I think of negotiation is being able to truly understand where the other person is. And if you are so blocked by anger and not able to even step a little bit into someone else's shoes, it's going to be very hard to negotiate because I can't, you know, I don't know your spouse the way you know your spouse. You need to be able to to kind of access that. So I think that people that are just going to be open to that, communicative, you know, I personally like people that are organized. If you're not, we'll help you get organized. Just generally not trying to go for the scorched earth, I personally find to be good clients. So then on the other side of that, people who would not be such great clients or people who are really vindictive and angry, is that what you think? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that people start, a lot of people I've had that have started out that way and then ultimately have come around. So I wouldn't judge someone immediately as they walk in and the first thing they say is, you know, I want to kill him um, or her for that matter. But if they maintain that, you know, and that stays consistent through a good portion of the case, I think it makes it very, very difficult. and It's probably not going to fall on my favorite client list. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about is, I mean, the client that you like so much, he really had a core value about being generous or responding to his own his commitment he'd made earlier in, in, in his life to his wife. And that sticking with that core value, even through the rocky moments, was, was really something that you really appreciated and you think uh, makes for a good client. Absolutely. And thank you so much for uh, being our guest, Jacqueline. It's really been a pleasure to have you on our show. I encourage people to buy and read Soon to Be X or Soon to Be X for Men. Thank you so much for having me.